Hey, what's good, people? This is the Option Podcast. This is episode 87. Been waiting for this motherfucker for a long time, man. <laughs> it's Mel Wilson. They go to sponsors, right? You were thinking about sponsors, right? Episode 87, and, and the episode starts right now. So, my people from the MMC, my people from the NYC asked, and they asked, and they asked, they asked where this dude was, but for me, <laughs> ask, I shall deliver, because for me, I've got to give the people, give the people what they want. Ishmael. Wilson. What's up, Jason? How are you, man? Yo, I'm so happy to be here. Mad love, Thank mad peace. I'm like really excited. I'm a little nervous. It's <laughs> you okay. got me drinking a little bit. I'm like, oh, God. I'm, it's, I'm, dude, it's I'm like, like you directing radio. a play. If you're nervous, that only means you're ready. Um, <laughs> At least ain't no money involved. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's bottom line. Why you want to mess with someone's bottom line? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I think about, that bottom line. That bottom line. <laughs> dude, let me tell you something. I do a, When I do a volleyball podcast, yeah. and I think... Like someone's not doing a, their job, right? I'm like, I'll give you an example. There's a guy named Jeff Nygaard. And I, I'm fucking outing people right now. And we just started. He's the head. He's the head coach at USC. All right, okay. he's the head coach at USC. Their men's indoor team. And right. the last six seasons, he's had two winning seasons in six really? seasons. Now USC is the hotbed for recruiting the best people from California, all over the country, all over the world. And you trying to tell me the best you could do? It's two it's two winning seasons and six seasons. Yeah, now I, I'm hes part of me's hesitant because I don't want to mess with people's money. It's like Jay, <laughs> right? No, because right because they're my contemporaries, right? You don't want to mess. Right, right, yeah, why are you fucking with people's PC. money? So you gotta be PC. Yeah, but why? But come on, man, be real, man. I mean, two two winning seasons. That's that's it. That's right, it. Right. So, um. Put the walk behind the talk, right? Yes. Put the walk behind the talk. No, but for me, I have a rule. Uh, yeah. When it comes to volleyball, I attack mm -hmm. volleyball players with volleyball. Like, did you just right. hear me say something about the dude's mother? No. Did no. I say he should die? <laughs> he should go fucking live in the woods in a log cabin? No, I didn't say exactly. that. Um, I exactly. So it's a general rule. Like, if, if we're theater people, we attack theater people with theater. And you know theater people got to be thicker skinned than any right. any sport I will ever coach. You have to be able to take that criticism as, as right. long as it's in, within the bounds of your performance. And, right. and I, I mean... Am I right? I mean, yeah, there's, there's got to be right. rules. And There's I don't talk about people's personal like, life. Like with New York right now, it's so like people are so not about their business. Like they're so not about, okay, I'm going to attack you on your work. I'm going to attack you on your work. Like you said, if I'm going to attack you on volleyball, I'm going to attack you about volleyball. I'm not going to bring your mother into it. I'm not going to bring your cousin into it. I'm not going to bring stuff that don't have nothing to do about it. If it's about the work, it's about the work. It's about the business. And so people, many people want to bring so much other stuff into it these days that it's just, I'm a little, I, I, this is why I loved you because you call people out on it. If you're going to attack somebody about volleyball, attack them about volleyball, not their third cousin. So I respect that. Yeah. I respect that. You know what I respect since we're talking about like just you, the relationship you and me have and, and the realness? Um, that comes without saying. We didn't. We didn't even like point that. It, it was just there, right? It just existed. Um, at the time that you got me into like the August Wilson tribute, all the way up to fucking A, which you know we're gonna talk about later. I was struggling. I was a returning adult student. 
And I brought a style and a technique of acting that was more Chekhov, that reflected more on life experience, like military and this and that, where the style they was teaching, like, and I said it in my last podcast, like Meisner, if you you move across the room, you need a reason to. You know what I'm saying? Where Chekhov, you don't need to. You just get up, you move, you, you, you go back. Yeah, yeah, okay, you want to go move again? Go move again, come back. And then you figure out your, your, your fucking A, you figure out your, your goat um, right. organically. So that was right. my style. And what the professors are trying to do is tear mine down and rebuild it, which honestly would have taken years. So I'm trying to do it the way they're teaching me. I'm trying to put it, you know, because I'm still a rookie because these, these kids have been doing theater before, you know, since <laughs> nine years old, right? Get so, out of here, get out of here. No, but, I can't no, but, stand that. No, but <laughs> ish. Here's the yeah. thing. No, but I try to put in my respect. I try to do it a certain way. Right. And when you get criticized that way, and when certain professors out you in front of everybody, it's kind of mm-hmm. like everybody kind of distances themselves. It's like, right. okay, they start, year, you know how it is. Year two, they, they create yeah. these categories. This is like mm-hmm. the really good actors group. This is this, this guy's part of this group. And this dude's just mm-hmm. alone on his own fucking planet, which is me. Yeah. So Absolutely. when you um, came through, when you came to me, and talk to me about the August Wilson tribute because you did Fugar, you did. Uh, um, yeah, we did. Whoa, um, flashback. <laughs> it was one of those things where you weren't teaching a style. You were a director that was like, this is what you bring. Um, this is what I ask of you. And I want you to be professional. This is what I ask of you. Be professional and bring this. I don't give a fuck how. So right. you allowed right. me, I took a whole winter, you know, winter semester, I went crying to my mother. Um, like I'm, I'm a returning adult student. This is even didn't worse for all, me. Didn't we all, you know? man. Yeah, didn't but it was worse for me mind. because yeah. I was a returning adult student. I've never, it was, I've never been so sure and been so wrong <laughs> about, about certain things. Right. So, but I wanted to say that in the beginning. Because we're going to talk about New York City and what you've been up to. I want to say that in the beginning, you caught me at a time where I was struggling with a certain technique. And because of you, I was able to kind of do my own thing. I switched out of the BFA to BA because it had more uh-huh. flex- flexibility. Yeah, more right? flexibility, right. Yeah, you could, do, you could do outside work during the academic year. Right. So, and because of you, I was able to just do what I believe brought me there in the first place. When I auditioned, they fucking loved me. I was a number two draft pick. And it was for a reason. It's because they saw talent, you know? Right. And, and I don't know. I guess they tried, whatever. But, you know, and it is what it is. What's up with New York City, man? Is it still is it still COVID heated? People still mad as hell? What's up? Yo, I don't know. It's kind of shocking. Like, um, you know, I took some time away and I came back. But this whole COVID thing has really, like, excuse my French, but really fucked the city up. It is, in my opinion, it is absolutely terrible right now. It's the energy. I guess stuff is opening back up. The mayor's opening the city back up July 1st. But the, it's just it's just the life feels out of it. A lot of the people have gone out of it. It's so much crime. It's so much just bad, um, how do you say it? Bad, um, yeah. bad influence, so much unchecked, uh, unchecked welfare. The city is just really off the hook right now. It's just not New York. It's not the way I remember it. It's not the way I love it. And I think I'm not the only one that feels that way. It feels like it's a lot of negative energy going on in the streets. And I know we're still going through COVID and stuff like that. And and you're probably still going to go through that. Like, even when things go back to normal, there's still going to be that residual or that residue from right. COVID that's going to run right. over a little bit, right? Is that, is that yeah. how it is? I, th- I, think, I think so. I think it's going to be, but you know, unlike it's not going to be everywhere for a while. And so like we really get back to normal, 
but there's something about New York that the magic hasn't not came back yet. And I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's like, it's just a lot of unchecked stuff going on right now. And it's really kind of breaking my heart. You know, I'm not sure when it's gonna come back. I don't know if it's temporary. You know, I don't know maybe when the city gets back to full capacity. I don't know maybe when the arts come back fully. Well, like you know, like you said, like New York heart, you know, the heart of New York beats on the, the arts without people being able to go to clubs, bars, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of took the light, a lot of life out of it. No doubt. And um, I know this is not PC, but um, I really don't approve of the job our mayor de Blasio right now is doing. I think, I think, you know, um, from the police, (laughs) from the welfare to the homeless population, to I just think it's it's, it's really bad right now. I, I think it may turn for the better. I'm not sure. But it's a lot of unchecked stuff in New York City, and I'm, if you can ask around, I don't. I'm not the only one that feels that way. But no. I think right now, just because of jobs and just because of COVID, we're just trying to get back on our feet. So maybe we should give it some time to get back on our feet and see what happens. But um, right now, I would say I'm disappointed in New York. Well, they as a longer time New well, Yorker. COVID. Look, you you didn't mean to get political, but it's impossible not to get political because when science and science collected and what people expect you to do and how to deal with the quality of life versus sanctity of life at some point i'll give you an example like covid they want they shut down workplaces places of work were limited Uh, um customer intake was limited so people you know going to be laid off and out of a job right and then they're telling you not to go to work it's like fine but is there some kind of stimulus or some kind of whatever because even though you're out of work it's not like you out of rent. <laughs> it's not like, yeah. right? It's not like, it's not like, right? You're not lying about that. No, because right? even if the yeah. landlords get a deferral, right? They're still going to, I mean, motherfuckers are greedy, I guess, but they're still going to want, they're still mm. going to want their, their mm. check mm. on the first of the month. Uh, ish, right. So right. to tell someone that they can't work, and then at the same time, when it comes to giving them some kind of relief or stimulus, no, where are we, how are we going to pay for that? Where are we going to pay for that? Right. It's definitely political. It's, yeah, definitely it's definitely political. political. It's it, basically you got the Democrips and the Bloodlickens, okay? <laughs> you know what? No, 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 no. I, I take that back. I think I want to take this time to apologize to Crips and Bloods. I, I was wrong. I should not be calling. You know, I, they should. Crips and Blood should not be associated with these motherfucking gangs. No, they should. They make them look like fucking judges. No, I dude. mean, they look like the Crip cops. So Crips, so right. Bloods. Yo, I apologize. Shout okay? out, shout you don't out. have to come see me, shout okay? Out. I bleed blue, but but I ain't a crypt though. Okay? Yeah, but um, the, like you said, like the gang activity is kind of out of control. Like you look at the news every day. Like I've, I've been in the city since 2004. It's even a little nerve wracking to ride the subway right now. It's even a little nerve wracking to deal with the police right now. But that was the question. How did the subway look during COVID, dude? It was empty. It what was shut f- down. It was Whoa. shut down. Um, they did shut, what was it? Like 1 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's been shut down most okay. of COVID. Um, and now I think like in the next week or so, they're opening it back up 24 hours, but nobody was on the trains. But I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this. I was working overnight outreach and stuff like that. They would have crews cleaning the subways like never before because they was trying to stop the spread of COVID. So the subways have never looked as good they never looked as good. They look. They look absolutely clean. You're like, am I in Frankfurt, Germany? But after, <laughs> after like, after like a few months of that, like it's just like the homeless population completely took over the subways. And I'm telling you, man, from after being in the city since 2004, every car, every stop 
somebody's another homeless person, which is sad, which is really sad. But literally, like because of like you know lack of housing, lack of funds, lack of lack of whatever you want to call it, like it, it definitely feels like Mad Max out here sometimes. Yeah, you, yeah, you can't work, but you gotta pay. You can't work, but you gotta pay your rent. Right. Right. But I want to say most, I don't know about most people, but I know for me, I've been lucky where I've been able to continue my job online. So, um, yeah. you know, that's been a blessing because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, if you work in restaurants, bars and stuff, you can't continue your job online. And unlike most cities, like right now, they're ending their eviction moratorium. We still have ours, I think, until August. So um, that's a little bit of a blessing. They don't consider that's the back rent. Before they did the freeze, they don't consider the back rent that you got to pay. Like, even if they give you a check. Um, yo, when you pounded your chest, you banged your speaker, but it was a good stereo effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. That's all right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. No. They don't consider the back rent. And, um, but like, you know, working in social services now, like I've been doing for a while, like unlike a lot of places, New York, I will give New York this. They do have a lot of services and a lot of lot of opportunities. Like they have this thing called the one shot deal, where if you like back on your rent, the city will pay for it to pay for back rent. Uh, and they do have like for COVID, you know, with all the homeless population, they've rented out all the hotels that were shut down. So all of the homeless pop, all the major hotels in the city have turned into temporary homeless shelters. So you know, unlike a lot of other places, New York does have that opportunity, but it's absolutely went awry it in my is, opinion you said mad max man. <laughs> mad yeah max. it's like it feels like mad max thunderdome out here sometimes it really does and like it's slowly transitioning back but it's a lot of unchecked stuff mm-hmm. and like with the police right now the police like the blasio put in this law where the, none of the police officers can be in plain clothes anymore so the cops are identified everywhere and it's just a lot of crime running rampant. And I'm not the one that up for locking up black and Latino people. But it's just a lot of stuff in this city going on right now that should not be going on due to lack of management and to incompetence of the officials at the top. They need to be checked and kicked the fuck out of office, if you want to ask me. Yeah, well, shit, it came up. <laughs> but um, let me tell you something. When someone's stealing a watch from a store. Right. Uh, I mean, you, I mean, the the why is is could be anything. He just wants something for his wrist. He's just trying to light up his wrist. Maybe right. he's trying to hock it. Maybe you know the, the reasons, whatever. But when someone's stealing diapers from Target, <laughs> you know the reason, right? Ain't nobody trying to hock no diapers, right? Ain't nobody trying to hock right. no Similac. Ain't nobody, right? right Ain't nobody trying that. to hock them. Um, You're right about um, that. Some of the theft is milk legit. And bread. Yeah, some I, of the theft is a little legit, but yeah. some of it's just not. Some of it is just like people stealing shit because they have the opportunity and advantage. I'm all down for people like stealing diapers and stealing food for their kids. But it, it's not that on a major level. It's people stealing see You should go to 125th Street in Lexington right now. Where the Wars Island bus come, where they drop off the people from Wars Island. It's about 50 crack dealers out there every fucking minute. And the yeah. police just stand right there and watch. Yep. And the thing about it, they're killing our own people. It was like The Wire, right? They, they created like a drug Worse. free. Worse. Remember, Worst. you ever seen The Wire when that dude made drugs Pay legal? Like he, yeah, yes. Remember, what was Major Colvin, right? He made, he's like, you are allowed to bang here. You guys are allowed to bang here, here, yeah. and here. Yeah. What did he? What did he say? He put the paper like your drink. You put a paper bag over the drink. He did the he did the paper bag for the drugs. Yes. And um, but they, at least they had a system. 
Mm-hmm. At least they had a system. At least he just wasn't out in the open, sloppy for old women to see, for yeah. kids to see, for you know families to see. Here, right now, it's just all over the place, just dripping out on the streets, and people don't even give a fuck. It's no. every, it's every fucking way, every fucking body involved in some criminal activity right now. And I'm not trying to talk shit about New York. I love New York, no. but it's so unchecked, man. If you came back right now and if you had to walk the streets day by day, you'd be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, Who the what, fuck what, is uh, these motherfuckers? Yeah. Well, last time I went, because I go twice a year. I go once for the AVP. Um, yeah. The Pro Beach Tour comes in New York, like in okay. like at the Hudson River, like June every year. But that got canceled last year, so I didn't go last year. Got um, you. But I went 2019 for the AVP. I was coaching two players. Yeah. And um, sometimes I like to go in the fall, just a couple of days. Autumn's nice. The leaves drop. And then I get on the plane, me, me and my girl, we, and we, we get on the plane we, and we come back. So, because that's where I met her anyway. Like, she's lived in New York for 15 years, so that really? qualifies as long enough. She's from West Virginia, okay. but, but when you lived in New really? York for a decade, <laughs> yeah, but when you lived in New York for a decade and a half, you know, dude, I'm married smart. I'm married smart. I, yes, my girl went did. to Harvard. I was checking out your Facebook. Yes, you did. My girl went to Harvard, so yeah. There's yes, a, she did. Ishmael, there's yes, an old did. saying if you're not if you're not a genius by the time you're 40, make sure you're married to one. So so that's mm. you know, that's <laughs> me at the end nah, of the day. Either one of those. No, but at the end of the day, nah, I'm still I'm, I'm still just an average kid from Brooklyn. I'm just an average kid. Nah, man, you do great things, yeah. very entertaining. You're very on chess. It's great listening to you. What is that bottle? What are you drinking? What is that bottle right now? Oh, gosh. I don't know if I want to promote this band. Oh, don't look at the tag. Oh, look at this goddamn tag. That ain't no cheap bottle. Let me tell you something. A beach volleyball player looks at it and is like, tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Jose Cuervo was a longtime sponsor. Of um, professional beach volleyball. That's one. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Jose Cuervo's up. Yes. But. <laughs> there you go. There you go. $100. Give me a shake. Give me a fucking shake. <laughs> yes. Give me my royalties. That's all I know. Give me my royalties. Shit. Well, listen. We'll grab it. Go. $15.99. I think, as far as timing, like me being out here and living out here, every time I think I got it bad, you know, because. The beach got shut down. Indoor volleyball got shut down. And every right. time I think I got it bad, I think of situations like yours. And I'm like, no, nah, you know what? My dude, I could... The government's asking me to sit on my ass and play video games and do uh, do nothing. I'm going to do nothing. Right. I think I, I think I can handle this for a little bit. And where I'm living, it's pretty residential area. Like, if I want to okay. go pass a volleyball, I go. I have a roof. I, me and Kelly, we just go on a roof and we pass. And you, and really? Some, okay, awesome. And, and, and COVID fatigue is a real thing. But when right, I realize that there's levels to it, I gotta know when to show yeah. up. I gotta know when to just to. I gotta know when to pick my spots to bitch about it, and and then you, I hear something like, you know, what you're going through in New York City, and I'm like, nah, I'm good. I ain't gonna say nothing bad about my situation, you know. It's like my boy Abdel. He's a DJ Stoon because the DJ scene, yeah. is, the DJ scene is fucked right now. Um, yes, you know, it the is. Yes, is it is. But yes, this dude's from Morocco, and he came from Morocco, 16 years old did like a you know door like a club promoter thing then learned how uh-huh. to dj and then became right. this dj he's the resident at hudson at hudson terrace and really? he goes to okay. brazil goes to brazil four times a year goes to london four times a year and yeah. he made so much money he like moved himself on the upper east side and moved got an apartment for his mom moved his mom's and as his next door neighbor in the apartment next to him so every time i think i work harder i'm deserving right. i think of that moroccan dude and I'm like, no, work I don't a little work bit hard. Harder. I don't work hard. Yeah, no. I don't work yeah. hard. So, so let's let's um, I want to. If anything, anything, COVID, 
this yeah. whole experience has a lot of people themselves. Like, I'm doing a job right now. Because of COVID opportunity, like, a lot of people changed careers to something they never would have thought of. So, anything, I appreciate that. But it's like, like you said, it's like you can't sit on your ass and shut up. You know, what they say, make um, lemonade out of lemons? Yeah, yep. Uh, lemons, yep. lemons to lemonade. Yeah. Yep. Your, um, yep. your reception kicked out and then a little bit. Um, if you if you get a still shot, your reception stays the same. Got you. Because of your mic. Um, but the okay. picture's nice. The mic cut in and out, but it's because I think the headset, like if you if you if you bang it, you swerve it. So let's try to let's, let's try to do a little. Shot. No, keep the headset, but let's try to do a little still shot, and do, let's do more talking with our hands. <laughs> no, I'm playing. So, all over the place. Got you. Got you. So let's. Um, I want to talk about you at. Okay. We're, all right, we're in college, right? Yeah. And you start, you're, you found it, you and a, a couple other key people. Got to give it up to Vlad. Vlad's doing his thing. Every time I turn on my TV, I see see him in commercials. You know, I saw him on The Good yeah. Wife. You know, I've seen him on a bunch of TV shows. So Vlad's doing his thing. Dumont's, Matt Dumont's doing his thing. Um, Who else? Uh, Rachel Perez doing a bunch yeah. of act. You know, found a way for her theater performance to... Uh, seep into activism. So yes. she's she's yeah, doing it she's to, pro- to, pro- to promote the, you know for the LGBTQ community or whatever. She's doing a lot of work for that. She is so so real, dude. So let's talk about why you act. Why did you start you act? Well, we were um, at Marymount. Why did you start you act? Basically, I mean, like one of two reasons. One, I mean, you pay all this money to go to school for theater. Like you want to work. <laughs> So it's just out of necessity, one, and two, like lack of, lack of opportunities for people of color. But just look at the scene now, like 2021, it's so different. It's like, you know, back in the day, you know, before when you went, like we used to, I used to work theater recruiting in Memo, right? And they would give you a list of place of to like pick certain plays. And back in the day, there used to be maybe two, three artists of color on those lists. Today is so much more wider variety and so many different plays. Not enough, but so many more options than what we had back then. I just look at it just like UAC was created out of necessity one. And so, you know, you know, directing, like, it's just like, my dude, you know, like directing is, you got to be a little bit pretentious to put something on. So, you know what I mean? If, Nobody's going to give you work, especially if you don't have any experience. So you have to make it yourself. So, you know, that's just a, that's just a game. You know, okay, I can partly say, okay, we wanted to give people a color work and this and that. But also, damn, I wanted to work on myself. So it's like, you know, two birds, one song. Yes, look, and everything you said, for the, for the audience listening to this, you act as United Artists of Color Theater. Um, basically, Ishmael, who founded it, him and him and other people, a bunch of, maybe two Joy, people. Vlad. Um, yes. They started it with me. Um, Vlad, y'all know Vlad. He's been in a commercial. He in a Mike Tyson commercial. You see on TV every five minutes. And Dude, was just out of he, you saw him run away from Mike Tyson? Did. You saw him run away yes. from Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah. Who has it? He's on um, Roku every two minutes. Run up Mike Tyson. I'm like, nigga, get off my TV. All right. So I mean, just kind of okay. necessity, like anybody else. They want, they want to work. 
right, so check it out. Basically, for everybody listening, Marymount Manhattan College, at the time I auditioned and got in, it was ranked number two in the country in theater performance. So it was Juilliard and there was us, you know, East and West, Central Park's Mm -hmm. in the middle. And it was right up there with AMSA, Carnegie Malone or whatever and this and that. So the TPWs, we call theater production workshops, are watched Mm. basically by anybody who can get their ass in that seat over the weekend and watch those things. And something I think you picked up is there weren't a lot of plays of color. No, not a lot. Now, let me rephrase that. There weren't any plays of color um, at that time. And, And if there's no plays of color... It's almost like the faculty who was doing the casting weren't casting the actors in the BFA program and the BA program program of uh, in, in any of the lead roles. I didn't, I couldn't, I don't even remember a lead role. I remember Eugene Jones left the lead role for Native Son, yeah. and then and then this other cat got it, who's who we love very much. Um, Jarrell, I remember Jarrell, Jarrell right? He's so fucking he lazy, Jarrell. talented. He's so What's he up, uses the least Jarrell. amount of effort. Whatever. He's so talented, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. Yeah, you know he wrote a paper like he used my format to write a paper for waiting for Godot, like doing Godot under the Brooklyn Bridge, right? So, yeah. so I think Joy was there uh, in his class. Joy was in his class, so they're like, so instead of Didi and Gogo, who were the who were the characters? He's like, um, Casey and Jojo, <laughs> and then Joy screams, "Give me a fucking break!" <laughs> she's she's like, this isn't yeah. even his paper. He he used um. He didn't copy my paper. He didn't plagiarize, but he used my idea. If I was going to do a theater production for Waiting for Godot, right. like a contemporary yeah. thing, Brooklyn Bridge, yeah. fucking Didi and Gogo, they got the shopping cart. You know what I'm saying? The shopping cart, mm-hmm. Pazzo or whatever, and this and that. So, exactly. But they were mm-hmm. like, he was unprepared. They're like, who are your characters? And he's like, uh, Casey and Jojo. <laughs> jo- well, I know like one jo- thing they always say is like, nothing is new anymore. Everything is just a reinvention of itself. Mm-hmm. nothing in this world is new anymore. Everything is just a reinvention. So we all are inspired by something else, you know? So when but, people come up and say, oh, I have an original idea, like, yeah, right. You were inspired by something else. Yes. And that's okay. Yes, it's okay. That's okay. Hey, good artists yeah. create, great artists steal. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um. So was the August Wilson tribute, was that an experimental thing? Uh, I guess, yeah. Before I didn't you know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. And I feel like I felt like, you know, he was the most known artist for us, especially being in that age range, and he had the most available material. So it just sounded like, you know, a win win. And you know, these these students weren't getting opportunity, not necessarily because they were being excluded, but I guess at that time people didn't know they were there or they didn't see the talent there. Cause you know, you know, as we went on and on, they made those opportunities available. So based on the material that they had, I guess, I mean, I can't speak for anybody, but really man, I just wanted to work. I was like, this is a great artist. This is great work. We all know it. This is something we could do. You know, this is something we can do. So let's, let's do it. And if we fuck it up, hey, we fuck it up. Yeah, if that's the worst thing that could come out of it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the worst thing. I, yeah, because right? you're no more or less the wiser, right? Because the clicks at that point, clicks are already formed. People are already kind right. of already set in their ways. So you throw something, you throw a touchdown pass, and someone's gonna catch it on their helmet. <laughs> so, you're right. You're um, right. yeah. Well, I'm gonna get to the other part later, but I'm trying to do this chronologically. But since it's you and me, we kind of do whatever we want. Um, I yeah, thought, I thought I would just go. I thought I would just go. jump back and forth in time, but I wanted to um, use August Wilson to set up fucking A. 
Okay. For, all right. So for everybody listening at home, Fucking A is a play written by Susan Laurie Parks. Susan Laurie Parks won Pulitzer <laughs> for Best Drama. Um, yeah, she did. Uh, for Top Dog, Underdog. And um, and I saw that, actually. And Fucking A was produced at um, the Public Theater. The Public, yeah. Yes. And you had... Yep. And you had a vision how you wanted to put together fucking A. You had a vision of certain people that were interested in the play or certain versus people you were interested in. Of course, you're, you're going to go for the people you're interested in first. And whoever, right. you know, whoever auditions or whatever, whoever comes in later, you know, if, if it gets if it gets traction, um, typically people are going to want to be, become a part of that. So, right, right, right. So, I'm going to give you the floor in a minute. Basically, fucking A, we put this production together and all of these talented actors that you see, you see in a student lounge just fucking doing free concerts, doing these dance dance routines. Uh, it was it was basically our... We turned this, this quiet-ass student lounge into this fucking slam <laughs> poetry dance uh, uh, performance place. And everybody found out that everybody that was in our circle was going to be in that play. And then right. everybody was interested. Now all of a sudden, my friend's like, "Yo, I'm doing stagecraft, um, um, lighting and design. How, what can I do to help? Uh, you need lights." This other person's like, "Dude, I could do costumes. What could I do to help?" So now all of a sudden, all of these people that were generally interested, uh, but but at the same time saw the August Wilson tribute, were interested in this play. Right. And then all of a sudden, this thing you were playing around with became bigger and bigger and bigger, like theater production workshop bigger. It was so big that the people that were doing it in the booth. Don't say that big. <laughs> no, but it was so big. The, the school did a TPW call in the Boom Boom Room. And all of those actors, after their last show, ran the fuck out as fast as they could to come see your show. There was no seats left. They had to stand up against the wall for, for that Sunday show. We had a huge turnout. You used a space that was not controlled by the faculty. It was the eighth floor. The eighth floor at Marymount people was used to be a swimming pool and then it just became this open space for dancers, actors or whatever. And now it's a I think they changed it to a bunch of offices. I don't think that space exists anymore. But um, mm -hmm. listen, fucking A, it's got legs of its own. The floor is yeah. yours. Oh, man. Like, I don't know. I guess, um, like you said, like, I first heard of Susan Lloyd Parks. She talked about Underdog. Um, she was doing that at the public before, and then it went to Broadway with both staff and my favorite actor, Jeff Ray. So I mean, I started being her work. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Let's let's uh, make sure your mic is working. Let's do a still uh, shot on this. Okay. Go ahead. It's kind of Kanye West. It's like auto tune. Kind of Kanye West. Let's see. Hello. Actually, I got a better idea. Ish, yeah. I got a better so idea. Let's good. lose the headset. Go oh, back to the other mic. Okay. Oh, perfect. Um, I hope so. Keep 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 going now, and then we keep the camera still. Cause once the camera's still, it gets its bandwidth back. Okay. The Wi-Fi is a little funny. There it is. Is that better? Yep. Cause I can hear you. All right, awesome. All right, sorry about that. Uh, new place, new Wi-Fi. Basically, I don't know. I was just trying to find like a dope play, you know what I mean? A really dope work, and 
I was reading books and see what was like good and what wasn't. And I was like, this is a play. Like, not only is it like poignant in its message and cool and sexy and controversial, it's it's produce worthy. If I saw the headline, I would stop on a busy New York City street and we could cast this, you know, beyond race. And we can get an eclectic mix of people involved to like, um, not just make it like a black thing or a white thing, but bring everybody into the fold. You know, that's good business. That's not only a great play and like a cool controversial work, but it's just good business. So I was like, well, somebody would come see this. And it's just a beautiful, it's just a really beautiful play. It was out of my league. I knew it was out of my league, but at that point it was like, hey, everybody else is doing something. Why not me? Ishmael, um, Matt Dumont, who was in the play, Rachel Perez, yeah, um, me, Vlad. Every person I talked to said that that was the play that changed the direction on the kind of theater performing and even film that they wanted to do. Like certain people knew they wanted to be an actor. Everyone knows that it's in them, but you. It turned out that you were, it was a genius move. You, you, you Either you faked it till you made it, or you, right. or you really are a fucking genius and you had to drop it. No, I don't give myself um, that much credit. I just but, knew God. the collaborative effort would be, would be the winner. You know, like getting all these people involved, um, getting everybody their own voice. And you know, that type of production made so many people the lead of their own experience. And just doing something fun and controversial and brand new that, you know, it would be hard to really get this opportunity if we really were to produce it for real, for real, and not have the background credits. And this is something not necessarily like the faculty would produce because, you know, we were conservative, we were somewhat conservative, but it was one of those like sink or swim moments. So, I mean, I don't give myself the credit. I give everybody the credit because like a lot of people during our production and during that time, we were all so young and really weren't sure ourselves, put themselves out there. And, and, you know, we had people get naked in the play. We had people do things that they would have never done, like, and they really put themselves out there. So I respect that. And I had to really ask them and try to create an environment where they were able to feel supported and not made fun of doing this type of stuff. Cause it's not, it's not easy, you know? Not not so I, not, not Susan Laurie Parks. Like, oh, not Susan Laurie Parks. Great me. Like I'm um, just creating that environment and having that experience with people who truly believe in what they were doing. Even if you know you're young and you don't really know what you're talking about, having that experience to truly like give yourself over to something really happens. Especially in the real world now, since you know, so once you start doing real theater, it's about you know money rehearsals, politics, but to really be free and give yourself over to that and not have to worry about anything but giving yourself over to that is a rare experience. And that doesn't, in my opinion, in my experience so far, doesn't really happen that often. So I guess that's why so many people remember that experience because it was from such a while ago, you know, because things like that don't happen all the time. At least in my opinion, in my experience in the real world. So no, I appreciate it, that. Well, People it really put themselves out there. It doesn't happen in the real world, if 
if if I may, because we were at Marymount, but this production became real world because of the people who came. Okay, right. Susan Watson Turner came, the the first. Uh, uh, director of The Wiz, or the first production of The Wiz. She came okay. in. Susan Laurie Parks came. You don't know that. I dropped, I meant to drop uh, that on I you. Know. I was so she, nervous about she, everything. Um, I remember. It's like, God, um, let's get the Laurie. <laughs> any, if you saw an adult face that you yeah. did not know, they were in the real world. So our play that was supposed to be this college production became real world. Became real world. And, and, and it was so awesome because in the, the process we took it seriously so when the actual production came we could just cut loose and have a good time you know right even adam right. toback had a good time and that dude that dude has <laughs> that dude hasn't smiled that dude didn't smile in two months you know and he got yeah, on, if you remember he got on everyone's last narrow you're gonna fuck him up i remember that we out in people today, huh? <laughs> we were kids. Everything wasn't right. Everything wasn't professional. I was with anything, um, but the baseline to do anything is like get the technique right. Get the, know how to open and close the show. Know how to be professional. Know how to, you know, even if the work, even if the acting isn't that great, get the basics down. And once you get the basics down, as far as just, you know, cues and stuff like that, then you have room to explore. Once you eliminate all the messy stuff, then you have the room to be more free. And I think that's the start. Everybody wants to do all this creative shit these days, but they can they don't get the basic stuff right. They don't know how to run a show and or it's even the other way around. Everybody gets the basics right, but it's so bland you fall the fuck asleep. So I think finding the balance of that is really, you know, yeah. especially we have so many women and some of the people putting themselves out there physically. And emotionally, and you know, you know, think about it. Like for that experience in that run, it it was probably completely appropriate and freeing. But you know, if there was like a financial matter behind it, or we had to do this eight times a week yes. for months on end, it probably would have been a different experience. Of course. So well, it was one of the, I think when, was, I think it was one of those once in a lifetime things, and that's why everybody I talk to still kind of remembers it. Well, you know? all right, I'll, I'll break it down like this, Ish. In the real world for the people still in college listening to this because I have I have followers from like all eight, eight, 8 to 80 basically when there's your brand and there's your bottom line right and, and when they're both mixed together sometimes you can't do the work you want to do and sometimes you are, you're, you don't have the autonomy the, auto, the autonomy because one you're paid to do a job okay they, they, you have to do it a certain way and also you're looking for um, a medium of communication where you want future work, right? Because if you, if you do it a certain way, they, they might not want to do that, do it that way. And now your next project, you're not going to make a lot of money. Assuming there's another product, so your bottom, so your brand, Ishmael, is who you are. Your vision, um, your bottom line is your rent, your money. You could turn my mic down. You can, yes. Yeah, you can still. So your bottom line is your rent, your the the carpet under your feet. So if you're ever in a situation where your brand and your bottom line are mutually exclusive and not binary, it is free. Right. It's the most liberating thing. Yeah. It is the single most liberating thing in right. the world, dude. Hey, talk, I agree. Talk to me about Rachel Perez in this production. Rachel, I've been in contact with her recently. She's like a great and beautiful person. And she was one of those people who like, um, I don't know, like all of us are back then, but use their art 
to help discover yourself even more. You know, that's a hard thing to do. And a lot of people like to put on a show and put on the front. But she was one of those people who really gave herself and where life and art kind of blended in between, which is a dangerous place because sometimes it can cross over. Yep. And a lot of times when you're not in protected environments, people can exploit that. So I feel, you know, you know, I was young, you really don't know what you're doing, but I mean, exploiting that is good entertainment. Right? Let's just be honest. It's good entertainment. It sells tickets. But for the artist, you know, you have to be careful. There's a thin line. And that's why I think, especially in a lot of these programs, they protect the artists because they, you know, you can be very much exploited. Sometimes you need to go there because a lot of times once you get out of those protected environments, like you said, your bottom line and your image goes hand in hand. So you might not be having the opportunity to really go there. And those opportunities become frightening to swing once you, once you like, you know, just like, you know, we were doing it as a play and we were professional. Well, nobody was doing it for like we charge, but nobody was on, you know what I mean? Nobody was on contract. Nobody's line, you know, bottom line was dependent on it. And, and, and just one thing, I appreciate those days because it's a little bit scary today. Like um, this whole has to be this whole cancel culture. Afraid to say something, afraid to do something, to get canceled. That's a little controversial. It's a little scary. Like the line between freedom of speech and saying what the fuck you want is very scary because then it becomes a a financial matter. And I'm like, oh, damn, I really can't do the art that I want or speak my truth because I'm afraid I might offend somebody or get canceled it was versus really offending somebody. That line, I think, today has really gotten out of control, in my opinion. So, so I don't know. Quote, it's like everybody gets Dave Chappelle, a little bit too... Sorry, to quote Dave Chappelle, and I wrote this line down. It is hard to entertain people with brittle ears. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, but but I understand so much has happened. People can get offended. You can't go around offending people, but then you can't go around necessarily editing yourself 100% either. So I think finding that line is very like, uh, you know. It's, it's difficult. It's 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 yeah. not always white. It's dotted yellow, and it's not always uh, well painted, and it's not always straight. It is a different line. So true. Rachel so true. Perez had three days to prepare for the lead. I'm just taking, taking you back memory lane. Uh, the, there was a um, discrep discrepancy between you and your close friend. And and you know right. what? Sh no, we ain't saying her name because we love her. And there's certain people, right. certain people that have, um, what do I call diplomatic immunity. So I, I, <laughs> but we love, no, but we love her. Even to this day, we hold it dear, near and dear. She yes. was the lead as Hester. She fell out. Rachel had, Three days. Three days. To prepare for the lead. She take, did. Take me through she the did. process uh, of you, you, you guys just getting your lines and motions and this and that. Um, in all honesty, that process was like um, part of me growing up. Like, I blame some of that on my immaturity and my inexperience. Yeah. And no, yeah. nothing had happened to anybody during that traumatic week period deserved to happen and i regret it all but i don't regret it all and um 
It's Rachel fucking Perez. I think I hope I hope a lot of us has moved have moved on from that. But like I said, like come on, like it's the stakes were so high, and we were still all so young and inexperienced. And to say that I didn't have a fault in the default in that would be naive and would be silly. So anybody from that experience that during that fallout week still feels some type of way, I do apologize from that. And me and that person have been in contact, and then they have moved way beyond it. And done yeah, because y'all friends, so y'all are friends. But you know, you still like it's still um, it's it's just still like you know your young stuff is gonna happen. And just looking back on it now, like um, everybody deserved to be a part of that experience. But when you're working in such a high stakes environment, especially like we were, you know, it's kind of like you know you you, you kind of jaded. And sometimes those stakes matter because your whole experience is might be based off of that performance and it affects you emotionally, physically, and financially. So there's a balance between that. And I wish nothing would ever happen, but um like a professional, like like I'm, you always have to be prepared because you never know might know what might happen. So, you know, I figure, you know. Any any good production, you always have an understudy. You always have an understudy. So when something happens, you're ready. But we never thought it would happen. So any other actress would have never been able to pull that off in such a short time without really being... Because you know back then, you're understudy, but you're not really... You're understudy, but you're not really understudying. Like, you know the lines, you come to some of the rehearsals, Mm -hmm. but you really don't know the play. But to step in there and to put yourself out there emotionally is brilliant, which made the actress that stepped in was brilliant, but was also unfair to the actress who couldn't complete that experience. So for that, that was like a double-edged sword for me. Be, and it was also a huge coming out party for something that we both agree, well, at least in my four years there, was the best actor, male or female, that I've, that I've encountered or worked with or have seen in a production at Marymount Manhattan. She is the single best actor. And I, when I say best actor, I mean male or female. I don't mean best, <laughs> best out of the women. And I don't mean best out of the sisters, out of the black girls or the mulattoes or, or you know, boricuas. No, she was the, the single best performer yeah. uh, as far as a body of work, the ability to perform, yeah. act, sing, dance, adjust, improvise, suck up the pain, because I'm gonna get into another story later about that. Um, I give you Rachel Perez. So it was good for her because for two years, everybody else is getting cast in these TPWs that aren't, that can't even carry her shoes. That couldn't even carry her shoes. And I don't mean, and I sound like I'm being disrespectful to to the hard work. Some of the other, no, but look, we're here to, this this is the option podcast. We got to keep it real. All right. There, I saw in the boom, boom room. Okay, it's I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. Like if someone's supposed That's to be fair. like a hoodlum, and he's supposed to like this guy that beats up his girlfriend, it's supposed to be scary. I think Matt Sweet had that role. I have you have to you have to show me that if I'm in that situation of my my kid sister or my daughter or wife is in that situation, I'm scared the fuck of her. I wasn't scared. It was. It wasn't. It didn't. And the boom boom room was such a unique opportunity for people like what what we were what we were just talking about to take risk to be to 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 fucking get to, to grind it out. It's called in the boom boom room for Christ's sakes. So um, 
And it was so disappointing and so not believable that when I talked about it in my class later, political theater, uh, mm -hmm. Darren Banks is like, well, the problem is no pe people here don't support each other. And I'm like, don't come on, stop. Miss me with that. Because when Darren Banks had chances to, to support and stick up for his people, he didn't. He worried about his brand. All right. And that's real. So, so, so if I have something to say about a production of your contemporaries, you got to take, you got to take that hot L. They ran out of their production to see fucking A. <laughs> Dude, they ran, they, they, we were sold out. They said, we'll stand up against the wall. <laughs> so yeah, it's one of those things where you like breaking rules and they're getting away with breaking the rules and they probably could never play again. Right. So I would ran on my production and see it again, but yeah. you know, it was one of those, it was one of those cosmic situations. It probably can never happen again the same no, way. It can't. So you no. can't. Right. Rachel, Rachel wasn't even supposed to be the lead. She's an understudy and wound right. up, and that wound up being her coming out party to, for her, because she she's not quiet, but she um, when it came to wanting what she wanted for performance, she was quiet. She was like, I gotta pay my dues. I'm gonna just keep my nose on the work. So right. she was in that respect, she was quiet. She was always loud and boisterous and singing and hugging and kissing everybody because right. that's just who she was as not a person that was trying to do that to make friends. That's who she was organically. That's, yes, that's so very. Organic. Do you agree with that? That was organic. that was that was that was that was who she was. She's there's right. some people that act fake to be like that <laughs> because that's yeah. that because that personality is so um, extrovertedly welcome. Um, yeah. So here's what yeah. I wanted to talk about, Rachel. The last act or the last play, the last day of the play. Eugene yes, Jones. I remember Eugene Jones who played Monster started tearing up, like ransacking the house, the the scene, and he yeah. took a bottle of Jack Daniels with some whiskey and he threw yeah. it to the side and the bottle mm -hmm. just shattered. Yes, the bottle did. shattered into a million fucking pieces. I told Matt about Dumont. He's like, dude, I don't remember any of this. And I was like, yeah, that's because you were. It. But um, when it happened, I was in the back and me, it was me. It was Pam Price. Um, we just, and Rachel Becker, um, Alicia Rico Be Becker, who was like per, with the production team. All three of us yeah. went, yeah. all three of us went like this. Like, what was that? And I was like, I don't know. And then it was like, I think a bottle's broke. I think a bottle's broke. So then the next scene, Rachel was the uh, victim of a rape scene by someone that she thought was her yeah. son. And the character, the actor, and please tell me his name later, or tell, tell, you can tell me now, throws her to the ground. Christian McCullen. Christian yes, Christian McCullen. So he throws her on the ground, but where he threw her, where was where all of this these shards and shreds and shreds of glass were he threw her on the ground where the glass was and she did yeah. the entire rape scene on her back getting slapped around yeah. getting violated getting felt up whatever With and in the, the meantime grinding back and forth and all of this glass is grinding into her back and this chick never fucking broke character Right. She didn't say someone come help me. You know, Toback did. He's a little bitch, but but um <laughs> but um it's the option, Ishmael. Okay, right? So um um so during intermission, fucking Rachel, uh, um Alicia Rachel Becker, um who else? Pam Price. And the guy that played Matt Dumont's wife. I forgot her name. Um, really cool. Really Mary cool. Sabo. Yes. The three of them have tweezers and they're removing shards of glass, crystals of glass 
from her back, right? Yeah. And the whole time, I'm all I'm doing is I'm holding her hand, right? So um, Becker was like, Jay, you can go. You know, we got this from here, okay, whatever. I'm like, cool, right? So I try to leave. And when I try to leave, Rachel just... Just crazy. and and she's like she's like Jason we got this and I'm just like she ain't letting go so I gotta look I'm gonna just look the other way y'all do what y'all gotta do because because she had to take a bath and it was like a naked scene so I'm just trying to show yeah. respect but Rachel got Rachel has a fucking death grip on my hand she ain't letting go so I'm like all right let me just I'm gonna just do this okay and y'all do y'all thing okay let's just she wants to hold my hand she, she, she gets to hold my hand she, <laughs> all right she's got glass in her back ishmael so yeah that was one of the things i wanted to bring to your attention what was some of the um what's give me two or three things you liked about the play like certain scene performances i really like vlad um playing drunk vlad was yeah, like scrub yeah. vlad was like scrub he played to it too <laughs> much but but i think once he played sober he came off drunk. It was perfect. Because our, our old saying is, yeah. if you want to play drunk, you have to play sober. <laughs> and then you come off yes. drunk. <laughs> I don't know, man. I guess, um, to be honest, I love pushing the envelope. Remember, this was still back in the day. This was still before Obama. Yes. This was still before gay marriage. And we really pushed the envelope. I mean... You know, with the nudity, with the sex, which, you know, you know, everybody's doing that these days. It's just like, you know, it's kind of over gratuitous. It's an it oversaturation really now. Yep. But really a push in the envelope and maybe not making sense. I know um, blending like um, black experience and um, into play with um, specific acting exercises that may not make sense to do in a eight, you know, an eight show a week routine. That was very interesting. And like, um, you know, just taking those risks. Looking back on it, you would never want to put your actress at risk like that. So technically, you know, technically we should have stopped and made sure the space was completely clear before we did that scene. We but didn't who have time. knows what we were doing back then? We didn't have time. Like, it they was out. Yeah, they ran out on stage and they tried to clean all the glass up and then they put the cover down before the next scene started. And then what was his name? A Abraham, I think. Yeah. He was one of the prisoners. He kicked the blanket off thinking it was a prop <laughs> where we tried to cover the glass up. And then her living through that experience of, you know, getting getting raped in the scene may have brought up some old memories while getting cut on her back with glass. It wasn't, she didn't, you know, she, with little pieces of glass, you wouldn't want the actress to go through that every day, but to see that in real time and experience that, it's it, it was breathtaking. Yes. It wasn't safe, no. and we got reamed for it later, but it was breathtaking because in real time, it was nothing you'll never see again. No, and considering, without getting into Rachel's past too, too much, yep. I think her more so, for her to suck it up and... Yep. Her skin to be so thick that the glass didn't mean shit. Wow. Yeah. Dude. I agree, because any other actress would have sued the shit out of somebody. Or any other, everybody, like, I remember the prop guy said, the prop teacher was like, yo, y'all should have stopped the production. Y'all should have stopped it. But who, you know, none of us were thinking, you know, and it was just one of those cosmic moments that 
you know, if she was an actress getting paid, she probably could have sued the shit out of us. Well, look, but, um, if the production was nav- mediated and, and navigated by the faculty, they, they probably could have or would have. You yeah. were you were intelligent enough to, to get a performance space that was not controlled by the faculty. You got a performance space that was not controlled by the head up of the theater department or the head up of, um, you know, Rob Dutiel, awesome dude, the guy that does staging and this and that. Yeah, it was awesome. be- it was beyond their range and control. In other words, they had yeah. no power. They had zero right. power in that situation. Was, so, like, how experience? Because if anything, this whole thing would have been solved. We would use plastic bottles. Yeah, who's thinking of that at the time? Use glass. So yeah. we, we would use mop glass and plastic. It would never happen, but that's just live experience. All right, here's what I liked and here's what I hated. What I liked is you decided to do a play of color because your two years, your my three years there, there wasn't one single theater production workshop. Not even a, I mean, there was only two directing projects and, and I did one, Jesus Hop the A-Train from um, yeah. even that legal Urgis. I did that. Um, you did something called Gladiator, which you had me do fight choreography for. If you remember <laughs> that, that was just, that was just boss, dude. Um, yeah, that was boss. But up to that point, there was a shout out. That was Rob Goya. Joya, that was Rob yeah. Goya. That was Adrian Saunders. And that was Seth. He works in Brooklyn at a fucking, um, at a studio somewhere. Seth, I'm going to holler at James. you. That was Seth. That, that, they were fucking great. That was some great he looks like William Macy they, right now, dude. <laughs> he looks like William Macy right now, dude. He really does. <laughs> Yo, some, one quick thing about Seth. Seth and I had, the only math class I had to take in college was quantitative reasoning. I yeah. struggled. I struggled. And our final project, we had to do a two-person project. So Seth said, look, I'll tell you what. You let me go home to my girlfriend, I'll do the fucking project for both of us. He did the project for both of us. I ended up getting an A- minus for the class. And I'm like, fuck you, man. I ain't got to do no. I, I, I was really worried about this class. Because at that time, I was a 4-0. At the time, all of my classes were A's, and I'm like, "All right, this ain't this is a class I'm not gonna get my A." And he and I didn't get A. I got an A minus, but I'm like, it could, if it wasn't for him, it, it would have been much worse. All right, so that's what I loved. I loved that we were daring, we were willing. Rachel stepped up. Um, you gave me autonomy to train the hunters. You, you, yeah, you allowed me to military. You allowed me to military. Let me get a grown yeah. man in here to yeah. do this shit. Like, you not, just it, not just a grown man. Not just a grown man. A Gulf War vet. You know, ex- yeah, so ex- yeah, ex- a Gulf War of that. So yeah, I'm ex-military. So you are like, you're like, do do some of that. You said, Jay, take him, take him, do that. Some of that shit you do in boot camp or whatever, yeah. because yeah. you wanted exploded third chakra. You wanted yeah. ego identity. You wanted people that stuck their chest out. You wanted people that. What, what were we talking about? Someone that was believably scary. Yeah, right. believable. Yes. If anything, somebody who could bring add something to the table. So that's the that's the main thing, man. If you don't have something to offer, yep. like, I don't know. I know I couldn't add that aggression or your experience or your life experience. And you just being there and bringing your life experience, whether it was the training or your experience yeah. in the goal for something else that I couldn't offer would help develop a more full person. Yep. So you know, and that's that's what the genius was about it. You know what scared people in rehearsal, right? Rachel was trying to look for it. She had to cut a string. She's like, did anyone have scissors or a knife? So I pulled out my knife. <laughs> this big-ass military fan. They go, whoa, you're not some... Is that even legal to carry around? <laughs> I carried that I fucking that thing around yesterday. everywhere I went. So all of those things I like. Let me tell you what I did. 
faculty misunderstood what your intention was. You wanted a play of color, but it wasn't exclusive to only to black people and Latinos. It was when you said color, it was white, because which is a color. White people aren't fucking transparent, right? It was um black, African American. It was Latino, like Pam Price. Whatever race she is, it's beautiful, and we love you. Okay. Um. So what do they do? Jewish. No, but one Every, semester later. To be involved. No, but once one yeah. semester later, they do the most condescending thing that I ever fucking experienced at Marymount. They put on a theater production workshop for ragtime. And I'm mm -hmm. like, your timing on all of this sucks. And a lot of people from and UAC who are members of UAC didn't audition right. for it. And when people didn't audition for it, Pat Simon, since I'm outing people, since, you know, episode, episode 87, <laughs> be baby. Careful. Be careful. Actually, I'll carry the water for both of us, all right? You could just say you didn't say shit, all right? So Pat Simon goes into the office and goes to Ashley, right? Amal Devois, because Ashley's the one who told me this story. And I wish Ashley was part of our production too, but she couldn't do it. Um, she's she's like, you're not gonna audition? She's like, I, I can't, I really don't have time. I got, you know, cause acting three and four is like two and a half hour classes and this and that. And she said, that's the last time I do, I do something like this for you people. And when she said that, Ashley was in the room and heard it. There was people outside the room that heard it, like a couple of white people, but two, Ashley and another person I'm not gonna name, they were like, what the fuck did this bitch just say? <laughs> what the fuck did this bitch just say? That's the last time I'm gonna do this for you people. And that is what left a bad taste in my mouth because this mm -hmm. woman says a lot of inappropriate things, but sometimes her realness is lets you forgive it because sometimes someone like her needs to give it to some of these kids who think they got it figured out at an early age so fast so so people like her richard niles they're kind of super necessary to break some of these people down and rebuild them back up. yes but Agreed. this fucking chick said that shit i was like ishmael and ashley when ashley told me that i was like I'm not surprised. I've only encountered her once. They're like, right. they said, you encountered his, because I was in a musical theater. They said, where did you meet her? I said, I didn't. I walked by and she was star staring at me because she has like two, this double chin kind of <laughs> like that, right? So when, when, when I was walking by her, she was look, just looking at me. Someone, we're from New York. When someone looks at you, there's two things you could do. You could say, hey, you know, how you doing? What's good? Or you could be like, what? You know, what? Do I owe you right. money? You know, right. so um, so I went the former, right? Um, and I said, hey, how you doing? So she looked at me and then didn't say anything, just looked straight ahead and just kept walking. So I said, when she walked by, I said, that's why people don't respect your ass. So when I said that, she stopped and turned around, like, you know, the shock British look, right? Um, and I just went, just put my hand up and just kept going, like, bye, you know? Like she didn't hear me say hi, but she heard me say, but she did. But the part she did hear me say was that's why people don't respect your ass. And I was so mad. And, and you know what? Proof's in the pudding. Do you, do you know they were trying to, uh, at Marymount, long after we graduated, they're trying to do a seminar on BLM and like BLM as a movement and BLM as an idea and why diversity in Marymount Manhattan and the colleges are important. This chick fell asleep at the seminar. Didn't know that, did you? No, I had no idea. Well, I'm taking my own show. I know, I know. It's, it's a lot of talk. It's Check it out. I'm taking my own show. Watch this. I'm going to put this up.
Whoa. <laughs> what is that, the post? Yes. <laughs> oh, damn. Who wrote that? I don't know, but they named her by name. <laughs> there she is. Let me... <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Uh, oh, <laughs> don't want to be in the post. You don't want to be in the post. You don't want to be you in the Republican post. Space Rangers. You don't want to be under their wrath. <laughs> right. People, can I say one thing? Like, people expect this sort of dedication once they have the people there. But then, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we're obligated. But let me say one thing. Let me say one thing. Yep. Adrian Warren was in that production of Ragtime. Okay. And now she's Tina Turner on Broadway in one of the greatest performances. Oh. I haven't seen it yet. I've just seen clips. But I figure she might win the Tony this year yep. in one of the greatest performances ever on Broadway. You, so some good came say out Say it again of for that. the audience. Say her first and last name for the that. audience. Say the name again for the audience, from audience listening. For the you audience. know Adrian Warren. I know Tina her Turner, name. On yes. Tina on Broadway. Oh. Tina on Broadway. Oh, and it's my true. Goodness. I'm not just saying that for talk. No. It's probably going to be it. And what I've seen, one of the greatest, one of the great female performances up there with yep. Jennifer Holliday and Dreamgirls, Cynthia Aurora in The Color Purple. It's, her performance is going to be like, it's legendary. Yes. So, if anything, and it's one of period, ours. There were some greats. There are some greats coming out of that. Period. But it's one of ours. At Mary. No, yeah. I'm not saying that they're not talented. Uh, in fact, right. I, 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 I make, I'm making this sound like it's an episode where I'm just going to out people. Um, let me repair it. Hey, do what you do, baby. No, listen, David Mold. <laughs> David Mold, very professional. Very professional. One of the very straight of all time. Anyone who, if you only could take one year of acting and, and you don't have time to take acting for the rest of your fucking life, Take acting take one. Dave. Take David Moe for acting one. Richard Niles, yeah. you got to keep it real. We rubbed each other the wrong way, but looking back retrospectively, got to give him the rub. Rob, Rob Dutiel, the guy that does the tech stuff, straight up and down mm-hmm. like six o'clock. So um, Mary Fleischer, nice, pleasant. You know, um, I mean, the only one of the faculty I had a bad thing to say was was Pat Simon because the only, I only know, I only know my first encounter. You don't, you know, you don't. You, were, you don't treat me like I'm here for you. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the paying fucking customer. You know, right. and, you're and if you're gonna stare, yeah, and if you're gonna stare at me, and if, and if I'm nice enough to say, hey, good morning, how are you? you? Don't you don't you don't you don't decide if you want to answer that or not. You you be polite, you know, because me being me saying what I said, you, I think you know me. That was nice. The the if I was not nice, I would have literally followed her <laughs> and said, hey, hey, I said hey, good morning. I, was it that fucking hard? Right, because that—that's what I would have normally done. Right, so um, no, but I'm not, and I'm not saying this to repair or try to suck up to Marymount, but yeah, no, it was the best experience of my life. David Moe was a great first year. Richard Niles was a very, very rough, tough, uh, um, yes. acting altering second year for me. You know, um, yeah. uh, Faye Simpson, who's a movement coach, um, got a, she was an adjunct, but everybody liked her um, better, mm-hmm. better than the faculty. Yeah, but but they've been. A lot of them have been straight up and down and a lot of them have been phony. And, and if you're phony, I think at this point in my time in our life, like a decade remove, if I can't point out the phony ones, then I'm just going to not say anything. And you know, I'm not going to say anything. Okay. I'm not right. right? I'm not. Uh, how does it go? I'm not. I'm not this way because I'm on the mic. I'm on the mic because I'm this way. 
So, um, um, so that's, that's just, and it's you and me, we're both too old for bullshit. So yeah. Yeah. So listen, Rachel, that's reality. That's reality. Like we see all this stuff that came out with, um, Harvey Weinstein and all this stuff that came out with Scott Rudin. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality of the situation. So if anything, it's not going to all be peaches and roses. You know what I mean? I want to listen to a good podcast about that. I had a guy named Jason Olive. On my podcast, he um he's on BET's House of Pain, like Tyler Perry's mm-hmm. House of Pain, and he's done a whole bunch of TV and movies and this and that. Um, but he was more of a model than an actor. He's 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 acting, doing more acting now. But he was a Ralph Lauren model, uh, Versace, uh, All American at University of Hawaii, <laughs> at U of H. He won the first right to likeness lawsuit. Basically, he didn't win in court. They settled out of court because basically they were saying he wasn't allowed to model and profit from his own likeness. And he told y'all. Really? Okay. Yeah, he told y'all fuck off. So that was, so before this whole lawsuit happened in 2019 and 2020, in 1994, he took him to court and then they settled out of court saying, hey, um, you could still model, but you have to give up your athletic scholarship. And he's like, fine. Because the money I'm making from modeling, <laughs> you know, I could finance yeah. the whole team. So it worked right. out, right? Because they gave the Didn't scholarship to somebody else. Didn't they like a new law saying that you could um, make money? Yeah. If you worked for like, um, you could make money off of your image if you were, um, the colleges were out of mind. I'm not sure about it. No, but yeah. listen, Ishmael, if you're playing football at Florida State, right? And they make a video right. game, uh, uh, an NCAA video game. And they're using your name. Why can't you, you give no cheddar cheese on that? Why can't you give no residuals on the on the sales? Give me my five cents a a, a copy on that on on that on that video game. So, so um, yeah. So Rachel Perez, I wanted your thought on this. Um, Rachel Perez is for defunding the police. Now there are different levels. When people say talk about defunding the police, there are different ways to talk about it. Like me, defunding the police is like, yo, let's just do two extra weeks training. Let's let's raise um the college criteria or academic criteria and make it more attractive hiring and then more competent officers, you know, uh, come through. Mm-hmm. But her, she's like, nope. When I say defund the police, get rid of the police altogether. And she told me why. So, um, but that's on our podcast too. If you want to listen to that later, I thought I, my guess is you probably listened to the whole thing because it was Rachel. <laughs> Everybody loves Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Your thoughts on defunding the police and at what level? Or refinancing or, or this and that. My, my thought is, I'm like, people are out of their fucking mind. But, but what is, what's yours? Right. Maybe I'm out of my mind. Well, my Tell first me. first thought was yes. My second thought was <laughs> no. Like, I don't know. Hell no, like this, hell no. I think the city needs to be, I think the police department needs to be refinanced. I think they need to do more community policing. I think they need to do more policing oversight. But portions of the city right now are like a fucking cesspool. Ain't no way in hell I want to defund the police. Ain't no way in hell I want to get the crooked cops out. I want more police oversight. I don't want anything like the Rockefeller laws mm-hmm. back in order. But we as a society, especially in New York, we need to come on every fucking corner. I would not be mad. I would not <laughs> be mad at all. So I'm into like refinancing the police and more community policing and more more oversight of the department. I feel like they run amok. I've had an experience. I had an ex- I know this may be, I don't know if I should say this. But I had an experience this last week where I felt like I was set up by some cops on 125th Street in Lexington while visiting a client. 
And um, I felt like the cops were involved. I can't prove it, but I it was just I felt like I felt like I was set up for some reason by the police um, involved in some criminal activity. Um, I can't prove it, and it may come out sooner or later. But um, when when you look at it at that end, I'm like, yes, let's defund the police. But when you see all the crime out there, you know what I mean. If you a crack dealer, you a crack dealer. It ain't no in between. You know what I mean? If you raping a bitch, you raping a bitch. If you doing child pornography, you doing child pornography. It ain't no between. That's what the police are for. So I believe, you know, there should be some refinancing, reorganization, more community policing, more accountability for the police. But um, something I don't that believe breaks in up glass shield. the police. Something that breaks the glass shield. Something that breaks yes. the fucking shield. Like, yes. look, I'll give you an example. This George Floyd thing. Was it perfect? No. Could they done a better job uh, as far as circumventing and prosecution? But if you're the type of person that keeps glass half full, to have a cops go on that stand and testify and be like, this is not what we practice, from the fucking police chief to like people and to his own contemporaries saying, no. Uh, did he use too much force? Yes. Was it unnecessary? Yes. Uh, do you think he died as a result of it? Absolutely. When you got cops taking a stand saying saying that, that is... That's not the cure. I'm not saying that's the cure, but just a few years ago, you're not even you can't even get cops to turn on their own. Think about this, Ishmael. The only way that this even came to fruition was because of that brave woman that videotaped the whole thing. They made a police report and said that he he had a, some kind of heart condition and they were trying to revive him. That was the original police report until the video came out and they got caught in their own lie. So. It was one of those things where I'm glad for two reasons. One, some cops finally broke the glass shield and it took a video to do it, but but nonetheless, right? Sometimes, like you said, sometimes you need a, a little cattle prod to get you going, to get the cattle going. Um, yes. And the second thing I liked was it was the first time as far back as I can remember that they finally looked into the, the past of the assailant instead of the victim. Whenever a black guy gets shot in the back, there's always some fucking newspaper out there that's like, well, he had a criminal record for drugs and this and that, and 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 bringing up these these things that aren't even relevant to the crime, you know? I mean, what does his his ability to get busted for marijuana possession have to do with getting shot in the back without unarmed? Where, where's the logical connection? Where are your fucking critical thinking skills? But this time. Right. The cop, they delved into his past, and well, 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 look at what we found, right? We found 15 complaints of police brutality, right? And my friend's like, well, when criminals get caught, they're going to complain. I'm like, are you trying to tell me all 15 of these motherfuckers are wrong, okay? And mind you, I'm counting low. I'm my mind, I think it's 15, but it was probably more. But it's so crazy that if you start looking in the past of some of these cops that commit these violent acts, you'll be surprised what you find too, Ish. You'll be surprised right. what you find too. So those are the two positive things I got I got out of this Lloyd case. They they finally delved into the past of a cop, and a lot of those records were sealed. His past history was sealed because when you transfer, it's sealed unless something comes up, you know. And two, the glass shield. If you and me are cops and uh, we see something doing that, it's it's perfectly human to go to your captain and say, Captain. Can you please do something about this guy before he maybe gets someone killed? Right. Um. I, I think the major thing. I don't know. There's a lot of things. I'm not a police officer, but I think um allowing officers to not be punished for holding other officers accountable 
for the actions that they do wrong will move us a lot further ahead. You know, if anything, like what they kept saying, um, I know during the George Floyd case, the lawyer kept saying, well, this is what they were trained to do based off of the circumstances of the environment. You know, they saw the crowd. So, you know, if anything, if the police aren't trained a, a certain way all across the board, if police feel like, you know, if I rat on one another, rat on one of my coworkers, I'm going to be isolated. I'm going to be like put out there. I'm going to have like doo-doo in my locker. Then the culture is never going to change, you know? But we also, you know, and we got to take some responsibility to ourselves too. Cause like I said, you know, you might, if you're doing something illegal, you're doing something illegal. You know, at the end of the day, you're doing something illegal. You still do, no matter whether they stand on your neck or not. Like the guy, the 16 year old, what was his name? The one that did, the one that just got shot, the one that jumped back. You see the video when he jumped back in the car, they had him in cuffs. I mean, yeah. come on, man. But yeah. ideally, I mean, I'm sorry he lost his life and I feel for his family. But ideally, man, you were in cuffs and you jumped out of the cuffs and back into your car. That's crazy. So, I mean, at at what point do we take responsibility for our own shit? And at what point do we call out police corruption? I think there's a fine line. But, you know, I mean, you can't. I'm so sick of people of color committing crimes and then crying about police brutality Mm -hmm. when there's real people out there getting brutalized by the police who are not committing crimes. You you delegitimize their case. Yep. And then there's sometimes just crooked ass cops out there that need to go to jail too. And we need to develop, they need to develop a culture where it's the same all across the board. It's the same trend all across the board. So everybody got to act by the same playbook. And there's a culture where you can call on your fellow officers without being isolated or, or, or put in danger in the workplace. Yeah. Well, honestly, I believe that the people who believe every case is brutality. And the people on the other end are they're just those people are just as dangerous as the people that think the police are right all the time. Those right. uh, those people on opposite ends of the spectrum are equally as dangerous, and they, and I hold them equally as accountable. Like if we're just going to do a case by case thing, Floyd, that was fucking murder, not premeditated. That was yes, that agreed. was. I mean, I mean, at that, I don't know what steroids he was on. You can call that a crime of passion. That dude was so juiced <laughs> up. Um, that per that cop that shot that girl that with a with a knife that was gonna stab someone, yeah. justified shooting. That cop, she had a knife. Yes, and look, dude, let me tell you something. That dude, that cop came, told everybody, please get down, and said, please get down, please get down. She pulled a knife out. He still didn't shoot. He she looked at the girl she was gonna stab. He still didn't shoot. In mid swing is when he took the shot. I'm like, yo, that's the cop I wanted my name. <laughs> <laughs> that cop yes. used I mean, maybe, deadly maybe, force maybe as a they last should instance. better techniques. Yeah. Maybe he should have shot her in the leg. Maybe he should have shot a big her girl, in dude. the arm. That's a big girl. I mean, I don't know, but she still had a weapon. You know what I mean? I, if that was my sister, I wouldn't want her get shot in. But um, she no. still had a knife coming for an individual. If it was two grown men but, doing the same thing, but that he grown shoot, man would have got shot. But too. he didn't shoot a girl with a knife. He shoot a he shot a girl with a knife that was in basically almost in mid swing, where the right. threat was imminent. Right? I mean, if you have someone gonna swing a knife at you and you have a gun, 
And if you shoot them before they're going to stab you, that's textbook self-defense. So I don't see how that's right. different from from what the yeah. cop did. It is not your obligation to 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 disarm someone because if you disarm someone, um, it depends on the caliber of the bullet too, right? Right. And the size of the person. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you could shoot that girl in the leg; she probably won't even feel it till t- t- till three seconds after she stabs someone. So, so right. for me, if you look at case, if everybody looks at case by case thing instead of jumping on a cop side or jumping on, you know, uh, the African American side. But you're right. The people that are out there fucking up are are dangerous to the people who are unarmed, who are who are who are actually being obedient. You know, who who if the cop says get out of the car. And they didn't commit a crime, and they don't. And they they don't want to get out of the car. I mean, the the, the people who are do, out there doing real dirt are a danger to the to the people who are just who are actually saying, "Look, I do want to challenge you. I didn't commit a crime. I didn't. You know, you stopped me for this reason. I gave you my license. I'm not stepping out of the car. You know, at this time, I'm requesting your supervisor. You know, I think those look. If that person gets out of the car and, t- and does what the cop says. Sure, maybe they live, <laughs> right? Maybe, right. you know, maybe increases his chances, but though that's no guarantee. Right. But I, I, it's weird that that person shouldn't fucking have to do that, you know? I've seen white kids, the way they talk to cops, fuck you, dude. My father's a lawyer, man. I'm just like, you just told a cop, fuck you? Do you know where, I'm, do you know where I grew up? <laughs> you get your ass kicked. His partner, he's like, hey, look, we're not going to call this morning, okay? We got them in the back. Right. <laughs> no, well, I would say our biggest ally now, I mean, our biggest defense, but our, our biggest um, our biggest non-ally, but our biggest ally is technology. Like having your own camera, like the police, every time you go to the police now, mm-hmm. there's an EMS call, a call, they got those cameras on them, and they start recording yep. right away. Good. You need to have a camera recording right away also. Like the guy that shot the girl with a knife? Yeah. I'm, I'm, those were, that's one of the instances I'm glad for the cop that he had right. the body cam. Because the, they, like you said, it's not getting worse. It's getting filmed. All right? Yeah. So um, it's gotten filmed from a small time period in so many instances. If without the body cam, no one would have believed, no one would have gave that cop the benefit of the doubt. And I, I'm not white knife. Without the cam, it looks like a 16, 17-year-old girl. Yes. Yes, nobody that's wants to like, no, That's not 17. a good headline. Yes. It was the camera. You see that girl charging at another girl with a knife, it, 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 shifts, it shifts the narrative. It does. Yeah. That was the other thing I, I wanted to point out. I, I sent that to you on my text. I'm like, it's not getting worse. It's getting filmed. <laughs> yeah. You know, Agreed. technology. Agree. Te- technology saves all. And without that, Floyd wouldn't have, Floyd wouldn't have happened. It, it was... You know what's crazy? Right. Like in my wheelhouse, there's not a whole lot of African American volleyball players in beach in beach volleyball. All right, indoor you're gonna see a lot of women. You know, University of Texas, that's Weave City, boy. You know, um, but um, <laughs> I'm not gonna say the Don Imus way because that get me in trouble. You know, like <laughs> right? Remember Don Imus? He called someone nasty headed hose or something like that. <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> Don't get canceled. Don't get canceled, man. No. Yeah, I'm like, how am I gonna get canceled for something Snoop Dogg? Get a check for <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> you know i gave snoop dogg residuals for what i just said i'm getting canceled <laughs> but then when people take a closer look look my mom's black my dad's white i'm black fuck off but um um yeah and so it was the first time 
beach volleyball that some of these these African-American players broke their silence. There's a player, Fallon Fournoy Moana. She's half black, half Samoan. And she gets on the show and she's like, what are we going to talk about? There's some things I really don't, I'm not, I don't want to talk about right now. And I'm like, okay, we ain't got to talk about that. But then as we continue to talk, I guess I get people comfortable, Ishmael, and then they say shit, <laughs> you know, that they didn't originally come on the show to say. So it was really cool seeing a high level player like break yeah. their silence. Like there's some African-American players, we only have an hour to talk and that whole hour, there's just barely enough to talk about volleyball. But anything that runs over an hour, whatever, and this and that, like Chrissy Jones is one of the players, um, I never even brought it up because she she was someone that's still trying to get, build her brand. This girl came into a qualifier, for, to qualify for the main draw as the 47th seed qualified, made the draw, and made it all the way to the semifinals. Why the fuck aren't you talking about this girl? Why the fuck isn't anyone talking about this girl? You, do you know what I'm saying? I'm, not, I'm really, really trying not to bring race into it, but I, there's yeah. a part of me that can't help. Like, if this girl were white, dude, she'd be on a fucking, <laughs> you know, she'd be on the next AVP billboard. So, and I'm not crapping on the AVP because the AVP, the work they did the last couple of years, pfft, they got the deal with Amazon Prime. So all of the games on, now you get to watch games from three different courts. This dude, Donald's son, uh, took a chance, you know, bet on himself, won. Jeff Conover, the, the director. So, um, and Jeff has no problem with what I say. He said, as long as your criticism is fair, have at it. And, and I think everything I said was fair. Fallon broke her silence. Okay. My boy Jeff Samuels from Flint, Michigan. He's like, when this thing happened in Flint, I just sat back and watched everybody lose their mind and just say, I told you so. He was, just, he was, he was awesome. And as far as African-American, that is a dark complexion yeah. guy. He, you don't look at him and see Dominican. He's his blackness does not sneak up on you. He is. He oh, is you don't a, look Dominican. No, he is a bad. He is <laughs> a bad brother. He is a psychic blood brother he got from, from blood. Flint, he got Michigan. That Negro blood, dude. He, that Negro blood. He is such. Look, I always knew he was a good player, right? But then um, me and him yeah. started coaching together, so we're not just friends now. He's less like my brother from another mother. He he moved out Got of California. You. He's doing some some modeling for like some car dealerships, you know, some extra ends, you know. And that was a good way to survive COVID until like the volleyball scene came back. I'm gonna probably see him yeah. in New Orleans. But me and him talk about race all the time. So when I talk about skin complexion and this and that, where like white people are like Jason Yadi, a fucking mine. It's just like you sometimes you you gotta know people. I pick my spots, you know. Right. But he's right. You have to know people yeah. i agree i'm like clearly you never met my, met my mother if you don't think i identify with being black clearly none of y'all me, never met my mother you met my mother yes <laughs> right? yes i remember she's not I a light-skinned sister my mother's dark <laughs> so um <laughs> right yeah my three sisters everybody i mean my father's white and somehow some way i came out a few shades lighter you know <laughs> I, got the, I got the bart simpson thing going on right now <laughs> Dude, wasn't that the greatest invention? It's ever? all relative. It's all at the end of the day. It's all relative. Yes, I, I hope. I hope it gets better. Me too. It's just, you know we gotta we gotta break the. What do you say? Look at it. What glass half full? Right? Yes, always. Tr always try to do yeah. that. If I was if I didn't live in Hermosa Beach, I wouldn't. There's so many people who are uh, positive creatures here. There's a girl named Wendy Jones. She does the Optimist Journal. She's always mm -hmm. glass half full. Her podcast is called the Optimist Journal excellent and her blogs read like a novel so there's her there's a guy who's kind of this zen guy who's like a juniors volleyball coach his name is aaron wexler played for ucla i come to him for positive reinforcement um there's a guy i just had on today he's in, he runs soho yoga 
does this like a hot yoga thing. Um, and those guys really? are always positive energy people. So I just started surrounding You're my back. people. I just started surrounding myself with people who are glass half full people. And surprise, surprise, yes. I'm preaching. I'm yes. preaching glass half full myself. You know, because you know, if I if I allowed myself, Ishmael, I'd be negative all the time, man. You know. Yeah. So, but yeah, I really about that. I think um. This whole thing and just taking it forward is surrounding yourself with half full people. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Dag. So, man, when this COVID thing dies down, I can't wait to hear about your next project, dude. You know? And we'll you know, see. We'll yeah. see what happens. Come to LA. An adventure and, you know, like they say, what they say, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Not a sprint. Yep. I hope you come to LA. A marathon, not a sprint. Yep. When so, you, let's see. Look. There's so many friends I made from Marymount. When they came to LA, they all came on the podcast. We got if you come, you got to do in studio. You got to do. In no, studio, I would love to, man. Kelly, Kelly Bear's my sponsor. Like, you know you can have everybody some fun. Like, you heard Kelly Bear's my sponsor. Derivatives. <laughs> you can have some fun. <laughs> but um, Rachel, Shit, I need to take my ass to LA then. Yeah. New York ain't here for the moment. I can't afford to live out there. You gotta have a nice car. No, nah, Rachel, you gotta have a nice car to live in LA. I'm used to taking the subway. <laughs> yes. Do you know what I bought? I bought a Civic, right? Uh, um, the, yeah. The the new one, like the um, like a sixteen. When I in two thousand sixteen, I bought the sixteen. I said, let me just use this car. I want to drive around. I want to see if I like it. And until I get like a douchebag car, but but um, no, nah, I like it. Still same car. Still I still drive this. Uh, it's a black Civic. You know, I took the trip to Vegas. You know, the RPMs only only hum at two. I'm doing ninety six miles an hour going to Vegas. Uh, committing the crime of course but um i like the car i'm like i don't i don't think i you know the whole time i'm on i want a challenger i want to charge i want i want something that makes like your, your sack hum you know when you push the gas pedal but but no i'm like no nah, i think i like this car you know i mean the charger didn't didn't have a moonroof my car got a moonroof my car i'm like why the why the hell a civic got a sunroof <laughs> and this and this car doesn't you boxed in so so you're right people do identify you by how you drive but there's a certain age you turn where people just see you for you like i'm 50 right now so you know Whoa. yes you look great you look like you 50 you look like so no i look like a, you look great man. no i look like a i look like an unattractive 35 year old i don't i don't look 50. <laughs> no you don't no, i look like don't. an ugly 35. <laughs> how you make me feel old <laughs> ain't nobody guessing <laughs> For everybody nah. listening, for everybody listening to this podcast, Ishmael did this project at twenty years old. Mm. You weren't even old enough to drink, and you. But I was. <laughs> yeah, well, this New York. Come on, man. It's basically yeah, right. Come on. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Look, look. I, I joined the army when I was twenty years old. You you trying to tell me when I take leave from boot camp that I go to a bar, so I'm going to check me for ID and I'm wearing my class A uniform? Nope. Right, man, right, man. Don't show me ID. Sit down with that. Go, go, sit down, get a drink. <laughs> In fact, you ain't got to pay for nothing. So, so, no. But um, I was very, very surprised at, and, and impressed with your maturity because I'm 33 years old, right? You got to deal with an older personality, but you were professional across the board. Adam Toback, you know, I, I sound like I was out in him a few a few minutes ago, but Adam was a very strong personality. But if you manage that personality right. He's your star. Do you remember that long that long uh, list of crimes that that um, 
Remember his sister? He said his sister committed like all of these crimes and he named yeah. like 150 crimes. Walked back and forth, passing the buck, fighting the power, you know, uh, diddling in public. Bestiality. Oh my Child God. mutilation. The dude porn. recited 150 crimes without even inhaling. And it was yep. so impressive that he had to take a beat for the audience to clap. <laughs> was, yes, I remember that. Was, I remember that. That was, was a challenge, and he did like it was nothing. But you manage that personality. He shows you his talent. He rewards you because Adam Toback. You know, I, I, I tease him all the time. But the fact of the matter is that is that's a talented motherfucker. Adam right, Toback. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of talented personalities, and more. So, I would say more so creating the environment mm -hmm. to let a person do their thing yep. than managing. You know, mm -hmm. it's you know, if you create the perfect environment and support them in that, sometimes you know, once you give the outline and just sit back, then they great artists can fill it in. Takes care of itself. And then you just edit. Yeah. You just edit. But that was the other. Uh, that's what you were talking about with like bottom line and brand. You were allowed yeah. to just do brand, 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 and say forget the bottom line. Well, you know, the bottom line is irrelevant because it was a it was a school production that turned and that turned into a real world um Right. Enigma. It was ridiculous. Well it's shitting for the artist. That's why you gotta have a good director, a good producer. Yep. For the artist, the bottom line shouldn't matter. Yep. It should, but if you have a good support team, director, producers, they should worry about the bottom line and edit you know what i mean um fill in the lines you give the meat they they cut it so it looks good on on the plate because they're that you know if not you come out with a superficial product yeah and i yeah. think it's a lot of people out there who have good work and good intentions and have good, great ideas but they don't necessarily know how to edit and i think there's a lot of people who over edit that really don't have any fucking thing to say worth a damn so I think finding out, especially these days, everything's so, so much more accessible. Yeah. Everybody named Mama's a director. Everybody named Mama's an actor. Everybody got something to say, but nothing to say at all. So I, I think, think finding that line. Do you know why people do that? People look at other people do it, and the way people enjoy success in these fields, they yeah. do it uh, from the outside in. It looks like such an easy thing to do. The people that want to do it tell themselves, how hard can it be? And when they, once you tell yourself that, you're not going to put in something we call the real work that, that gets you to where you want to go. Like, Agreed. I, told, I posted on Instagram. I said, there's three fucking things none of my friends should do just because I make it look easy. One, have a kid. Don't have a kid. I make it look easy, okay? I got, you know, my wife's a super mom, too. She's a super everything. She's a savage. And I got a nanny. Don't have a kid. Two, don't start a podcast because not everybody has the gift of gab. Not everybody's doing what we're doing, and not everybody has the ability to get something out of someone if they want to or if they're looking for that. Like, you and, like, you, half the things we talked about, you didn't even mean to say. You're just like, all right, I'm going to say this. So don't, don't start a podcast. The third thing is sing karaoke. Twice a week, pre-pandemic, twice a week, I would perform at Tower 12, this place Tower 12 in Hennessy's. And I mean, you know, I say choir growing up in Brooklyn, and I'm the run to the litter in my family, but I'm still really, really good. So I go up there, and I, the way I connect with audience as an actor and then touch of sound as a singer, I get roars. I get roars of ovation, so everyone, and it's good because you want everyone to sing, but people are like, Fucking Jason did it. How hard can it be? You know? And I know, look, people think like that, Ish. Ish, yeah, I got my college degree. 
I got my college degree because this girl I was dating had a degree. I, I was like, how fucking, this girl got a degree, how fucking hard could it be? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, but, and, and, and I almost caught myself, right? You catch yourself not putting in the work. But you agree, like, a lot of people from the outside in, because they, they, think, they think it's easy because certain right. people make it, make it look that way. Yeah, you know? yeah, you gotta. It's a, it's more work than you think, dude. It's more work than you think, man. It is. Ooh. It is. I think you know these everybody with these cell phones and with these Android. You know they just look it up and then, you know they look it up and they're like, "That's me," and that's good because that opens up the door for people to like you know see themselves. But every everybody ain't a rock star. That's why a rock star is a rock star because everybody is not a rock star. You know. That's so cool, man. Now, I don't want to hate on nobody or bring nobody down or kill no dreams, but if everybody was a Whitney, Michael, Tina, Mick Jagger, then what's the purpose of having a Whitney, Tina, Michael, Mick Jagger? You know what I mean? Yeah, there'd be an oversaturation where yeah. it's like flooding yeah. the market with gold. You do it too much, then gold itself has no meaning, right? So Exactly. Yeah, I get totally, totally get that, you know? Exactly. Oh, man, so... Wow, we're almost on. <laughs> we're past. We're almost on two hours. I'm loving this. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, time flies. <laughs> All right, so look, we gotta um, let's let's bounce, and we could definitely do this again. I definitely want to do this again. I want you to listen to production, and I want you to um, critique your own sound or whatever. So next time, if we do this again, um, you yeah, can I'm up, sorry, you can, I just I have a creaky laptop, and I, I was gonna buy a mic, but I didn't have time. So let me no. let me look at that and see what I can do to like boost but my gotta, game up. You know, no, but I got a soundboard that can that can rescue a lot of it. So I, the, a lot of got the, you. the soundboard I got is gonna rescue a lot of it, except the the Kanye auto tune. Some of that you you had. <laughs> I'm in love with you. Uh, uh, I want uh, to. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, I don't do many podcasts. Screaming, so no, thank you. No, 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 no. You pop my cherry. <laughs> you pop my cherry. Yes. Listen, there's a lot of people that are going to be interested in watching this. I mean, a lot of people in our circle, like Matt. Yeah, was, yeah. Matt yeah. Dumont was with Yeah, it's he been a while, man. It's so good to see he's you. He's like, if you see him, tell him I said I love him, this and that, or blah, blah. So so before we go, is there a site or like an Instagram or a handle you want um? Like people want to know more about what you what you been Yo, up to. you can hit me up at um my name Wilson Ishmael W I L S O N I S H M A I L. That's my Instagram. Or you can hit me up on Facebook. There's there's not too much interesting stuff up there. I'm trying to prepare some stuff. Um, hopefully next round I can give you more. Yeah, for old people like me, man, you got to do some stuff on Facebook. Oh, who you talking, man? <laughs> He said, let you tell it. <laughs> I, tell. I got grades everywhere. <laughs> oh, man. So, guys, listen up, everybody. Ishmael might love you, but me, I can't stand you. In fact, I'm out of here, all right? For all you people at home, for all of you on your iPhone, for all of you on your Droid, for all of you on your iPad, for all of you on your desktop, who runs the world? Old school, old school. For Ishmael Wilson, this is episode 87. Whoa, of the Option Podcast. I'm going to hit my music, and we out. Come check Thank out you. the Option Podcast on optionvb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.